and welcome to the Adaptation Station podcast. This is your host, Nicole. I'm a former special education teacher and currently an ABA therapist at a private center. This podcast is filled with tips and tricks for not only being the best special education teacher you can be in the classroom, but living the best life you can live outside of the classroom as well. After all, I'm all about balance. Hope you guys are excited. Let's jump on in. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about behavior in the classroom, and we're going to try and give you some definitions of things that might help you and some strategies that you can try. And I have a co-host. You guys have heard her on many podcasts by now, but I'll go ahead and let herself introduce herself again. Hi, everyone. My name is Sarah Hudgens. I am a special education teacher um, and also a BCBA in Dayton, Ohio. Um, this is my 13th year teaching in the classroom and my second year as a BCBA. Um, so yeah, that's just a little bit about me and I'm excited to be on the podcast today. We are recording this podcast in April, but this podcast is actually part of my summer series. So I myself might be a BCBA by the time this podcast comes out, but both Sarah and I have experience in the classroom as well. And we know that behavior can be a huge component of your classroom, especially when you have so many other things. When you're in a private setting, you might be able to just focus on those interventions, but in the school setting, you have so many more things that you need to do as well. So this podcast should just kind of help you balance that. So the first thing we wanted to talk about is pairing, because I had never heard of pairing, probably not until I started my ABA classes, but it makes so much sense. So Sarah, can you explain what we mean when we say to pair? Sure. So pairing is just a fancy way of saying building rapport with your students. Um, And it is the foundation of everything, basically. Um, I tell my paras in my classroom, they they are used to hearing me say the word pair now because I try to teach them um, the ABA terminology. Um, And it's just a lot easier. So as they've been learning, I can say, don't forget to pair. And they know exactly what that means instead of having to really use a lot of words to explain like, okay, do this, do this, do this. It just cuts out on on time. I can just kind of shout across the room like, hey, pair with this kid first. Um, But yeah, it's basically building the relationship and building the rapport. And I pair constantly in my room. It's not something that you just do and then you forget about it. Like you should be pairing throughout the day. Um, It obviously not, you know, 24 seven, but you know, when you're getting ready to start an activity, just don't dive in right away. Mm -hmm. You know, talk to the kid, play with them for a couple minutes. Um, You know, that's pairing with them. You're getting them set up for your instructional activity. And then at the end of the activity, I repair again. Um, I always try to end each um, time in my classroom when I'm working with the kids I always end on a high note. So I, that's how I explain it to my parent, paras. Um, end with pairing or end it on a high note. So especially when you're, might be seeing some behavioral issues during a 20 minute center rotation with your kid, try everything in your power to end on a high note and repair at the end. Cause you want that experience to be positive um, with your students. So yeah, pairing is just building that relationship. And I think that's really important to note that pairing you're going to continue to do. And I can look back and I remember my last year of teaching, the first day of school, half of my class had returned and half of my class was new to me. I knew to pair with my new students, but I didn't think about repairing 
with my students had been on summer vacation. And then all of a sudden I was like, what are you doing? You've been in my class for two years, but it's because I didn't take that time to build that relationship with them as well. So pairing is something that you're constantly doing. Even if you're in a classroom where you have the same students for two, three, four years, you don't just do it at the beginning and then you're good to go for three years. It's something that you're constantly continuing to do. So that's a really great point. Right. So think about when you were in school, who your favorite class teachers were and what your favorite classes were. It was probably those classes where the teachers took a few minutes throughout class to just talk about anything and get to know you. And then you had times where you were diving in and doing the work and stuff, but it was sprinkled throughout the class where the teacher might have um, a time, like at the beginning of class where they tell a joke or they do something silly, um, or you just have free time to just talk to the teacher and then you get into your activity and then you kind of sprinkle in some fun times and stuff. The, our kids need that also. All kids need that. Every human being in your job, you do it. You know, you don't realize you're doing it, but um, you know, when I'm transitioning between activities with my kids, um, you know, I'm interacting with them in fun ways. So that, that's, you know, just really important to include. So of course we know that pairing is important, but that doesn't mean that just because you're well paired with a student, you're not gonna have any problem behavior. You're still gonna experience problem behavior. So once you're done pairing, you have that really strong relationship, what do you do if you're still seeing that problem behavior? Like what's your go-to step as a teacher to start intervening on that? So I, I think I'm gonna give you two examples. Um, one with you know a kid that's well-established in your classroom, and then I'd like to give an example for maybe you get a new student, because this is happening in my life right now. Okay. I just got a new student this week. <laughs> So for your student that is well-established and, you know, you've had them for a year or more, um, typically you usually have a good idea as to why this behavior is occurring. And if you don't, that's a whole nother conversation on how to figure that out. But if you know why this is happening, um, I, my rule of thumb is I just stop. I stop what I'm doing. Let's say my kid's sitting at the table with me and I'm starting to see some little triggers. When I start to see some little triggers, then um, I just kind of stop myself and, and I wait and I see if, you know, what, how the student responds. Then I use something called behavioral momentum. Um, this is kind of another fancy way of saying, you know, just lowering your, ex or not your expectations, but lowering the, the, uh, level of complexity of the work and then slowly building back up to what your goal was and your goal for that activity might change in the moment based on what's happening with the student and i know my paraprofessionals have struggled in the past with um well you know i need to get all of this this work done at this station because that's what you've laid out for me and i always tell them well yeah that's the goal but for me, quality time, <laughs> quality of work is much more important than quantity of work. I would much rather that child learn how to cope with that frustration um, in a more uh, efficient, not efficient, but more effective way and, um, for them than you know, having this para pull teeth to get them to, to finish this work. So I usually just kind of stop myself and, and collect, you know, calm myself down um, and just kind of watch the students and, um, and wait a couple seconds. Then I use behavioral momentum. So while I'm waiting, I'm kind of thinking, is this task too hard? Is this too much too fast? 
-hmm. and I try to find something within that task that I can make a little bit easier. Can they um, point to the item on the page instead of writing it? And if they do, then I know, okay, we're at a good level to start with. So let's start with just pointing to respond to the information. Um, and then once they're pointing and they're, you know, I see their behavior diminish a little bit and I see their, their responding speed up a little bit more, then I might say, okay, can you tell me what the next answer is? And if they respond readily, then I know, okay, now we're at that level. Then I just try to up the ante little bit by little bit. Mm -hmm. And then when I see like by the third or fourth um, thing that I've asked them to do, if they're really readily responding, then I know, okay, we're at a good level. Now I can try to dive back into what my original goal was. Um, so yes, behavioral momentum is such an awesome, awesome tool. Um, now for a student who is new to you, like my new kiddo, um, that I have this week, I don't know what his functions of his behaviors are yet. I have ideas in my head, but I'm still learning him. I'm still figuring things out. So this week is all about pairing and just building that relationship. But I'm seeing a lot of behaviors also because, you know, I have four other students in the room. He's my number five and he's new to it. We still have to go through our school day. We still have to do our routine and our group activities. I can't just expect him to just do whatever he wants to do all day while my other kids need to follow the routines. So I have to find the times where I can pair with him and also teach him how to do our, my classroom's routines and our group activities. So yes, we're seeing some problem behaviors and so what I've been telling my paras, kind of what I just said a little bit ago, is when those behaviors are occurring, I'm just stopping and waiting. And I'm kind of watching and observing and um, writing down some ABC data if I have the opportunity to do that in the moment. Um, or I might have a para just jot down notes as to what's happening. Um, may not be, you know, really detailed ABC data, but I just need notes right now. I just need to see what's happening. So I just kind of stop and wait. And then I try behavioral momentum as I figure out um, what is motivating this child and um, what, what does he want to do right now? Okay, he wants to do this. Okay, so let me try, you know, using behavioral momentum to get to what he wants to do. And then it just gives me little bits of information of, okay, this kid likes to do, um, he likes to sing, he likes to, you know, play catch, he likes to do all these things. And I'm just collecting information. Does that make sense? <laughs> I know that was kind of wordy, but it's, I basically just kind of stop and wait and I watch. And then I do something and then I see how they respond. And then I do something back and I see how they respond. And right now I'm just collecting all that information. And then once I understand what the functions are, then I can come up with a better game plan. Um, but yeah, my rule of thumb is just stop, watch and wait and, and kind of see what happens, so. Feel like you kind of nailed it on the head because some people are going to feel like oh I'm not doing my job if I just stop mm -hmm. and watching and waiting we're actually doing so much more to help the student be successful because if you can stop watching wait for 10 minutes and then adjust and have the rest of the day be really successful that's much better than just trying to push through and just having the entire day be yeah. hard Right. And, and I, I think it's, it's in human nature to want to stop that behavior right away. You react right away because you want to help that kid. Like your intention is really good. You want to help, you want to stop it and you want everything to go smoothly. But I have found if I just stop and calm myself first, <laughs> then I can make 
better decisions. And I do, I, I make sure that I am acknowledging that student's um, emotions in those moments. And I'll say to them, I know you're upset right now. I know this is not fun right now. And just to validate their feelings. And I, um, and sometimes even just doing that, you'll see the child like, oh, okay, they're, they are understanding what I'm going through right now. And sometimes that might help calm them. But I try to validate in the moment. And, um, but yeah, if you just kind of stop first and then watch and see what happens um, in the long run, it will help you then come up with a plan. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so if you're not sure what she's talking about with the functions of behavior, I have another podcast I'll link in the show notes, but basically your functions of behavior are just going to be, uh, well, every behavior has a function. It, it serves a purpose. And so it might be trying to access uh, a tangible, um, you know, I work with younger kids, so it might be trying to access a toy or things like that. It might be escape. It might be uh, access to sensory or attention. And so depending on the function, that's going to be your intervention. And so all of that should be tailored and customized to the student. However, a lot of us probably struggle with transition. That's a really difficult thing that most teachers in these settings struggle with. And Sarah had some tips she was going to share about that. Yes, transitions are hard for everybody. I don't care who you are, what country you live in, what language you speak, transitions are hard. And I think first understanding that transitions are hard and reminding yourself like, okay, this might be hard for this child can really help you plan better for this child. And I think, I think a lot of times we get bogged down with what we have to get done in our school day and the demands of uh, that are put on teachers. Um, and I'm, maybe I'm like just on my own little world, but I'm one of those teachers where I'm like, I could care less about academics <laughs> a lot of the times. I really could. I like to do them in a very functional way. Um, but for me, handling the day-to-day -day changes that happen in life and working on how to communicate your needs and wants and interests to the people in your world are the, the number one most important things for me, for my students. Um, and for those of you listening who don't know, I teach high school, um, and but I've taught elementary. So I've taught every single grade, but now I'm at the high school level and we're working a lot on functional skills and transitions are really hard for a lot of my kids. Um, so a couple of things that I do is, um, and I've been, my parents and I have been working on this, um, this week. And then this is kind of like our theme of the month is like, okay, we're going to work on transitions. So I try to remind them, think about what their transition, what the child is transitioning from and what they're transitioning to is what they're transitioning from really enjoyable. And are they going from something really enjoyable to something not so great? And if that's true, which happens a lot of times when we're going from break time to work time, that's where we see a lot of those issues. It's not fun. I want to watch Netflix all day versus cutting the grass or doing the dishes. Um, so uh, if we make those transitions very predictable, this is going to sound counterintuitive, but if we make those tr transitions very predictable, you are probably going to see more problem behavior because your child knows and think about it in your life. If you know, like, oh my gosh, I have to go get a root canal in an hour and this is not fun. And I know it's on my schedule and it, and I have to leave, like it really amps up my anxiety. And 
I'm going to have some problem behaviors of my own, which look very individual to me. So when you make those transitions from something awesome to not something not so great, and you make it a little bit less predictable, using some behavioral momentum, pairing, combining all of that stuff in there, your problem behavior should decrease a bit. And so this is what it looks like in my room. So I look at my kids' schedules. All my kids have visual schedules. And I'm looking at, okay, I'm going to help Johnny here transition to station two. And I know that he doesn't usually like going to station two because it's just a work time. And even though some of the activities there might be enjoyable, I know it's that idea of, oh, I have to give up this, you know, listening to my music or watching the iPad to then go work. No fun. So I'm already thinking to myself, okay, I want to make this successful. I don't want to say, okay, time to check your schedule, time to go to station two. That might trigger um, that uh, emotional response from that student. So I sometimes will just go over and sit on the beanbag and say, hey, bud, what you watching? Can I watch too? And I just kind of hang out with him and I read his reaction. If he's okay with me sitting with him, then I hang out. Um, and I pair a little bit, I build that relationship a little bit, and then I may have some kind of transition object with me. Um, again, it's is all very student, in, student dependent and individualized. And um, I may say, hey, if let's say he's listening to music, because um, a lot of my kids like to listen to music. So I'm listening to music, I'm sitting, and I might say, oh, stand up with me. And if he stands up, so right now I'm using behavioral momentum. I might say, stand up with me. And he'll stand up and we're dancing to the music and we're singing. I'm like, okay, come over here. So that's the next little baby step. Come walk with me. And he's walking and he's very agreeable to this. And then I say, okay, check your schedule. And he checks his schedule and he goes to station two and I get a lot of praise. He might get a token on his token board. Um, he might get whatever thing is reinforcing to him. A lot of times or the student that I'm thinking of, it's just my personal attention and he likes that person, that praise and stuff. So I paired and I used behavioral momentum and he transitioned to something not so great, but he did it successfully. And I, and I tried to acknowledge that at the end. I'm like, you did an awesome job checking your schedule and you came to station two. And I know it's not always fun, but you did awesome. I'm so proud of you. And we give a high five and things like that. So sometimes doing that um, will help with those transitions. I do also try to make it, um, there are times where I do say it's time to check our schedule because in life, you don't always have that option of easing into a transition. Sometimes it's time to go to the doctor and you have to leave right now. So I try to vary it and make it very unpredictable to the student. Um, and I have seen a decrease in the, in those problem behaviors during transitions. Um, and, and there are times where I will say, instead of saying like, okay, in two minutes, we're going to transition. I have found, I've had students who will perseverate on the time and then they're not enjoying their break. They're more worried about watching the clock and I can see that anxiety rise. And I'm like, Oh, that might not have been such a great thing to say to him. Okay. I'll remember that for next time. And sometimes I will give the student a little bit more control and I'll say, hey, whenever you're ready, come on over to station two. And then when they do it on their own, they get so much reinforcement at that table in whatever form it looks like for that kid. And I've been really starting to use like, hey, when you're ready, come on and join me. And for one particular student in my classroom, that has been a complete game changer. Mm -hmm. So those are just some, some things to think about. Um, yeah, I'll provide two examples of what I've done 
I realized in my schedule in my classroom, I was having my students go from recess straight to math, and that was a very fun time to a not fun time. And what we ended up doing was putting math sensory bins into my schedule. So whatever we were learning in math that day, there'd be a sensory bin with similar concepts. So if we were working on patterns, maybe they're pulling out pieces and putting them in a pattern. My kids really enjoyed sensory bins. And so I had a much easier time transitioning recess to something that was still on their schedule. They're still following the schedule and the expectation, but we were able to make it a more seamless transition. So that's one idea that you can try. Mm -hmm. Another one that you said we have done with choice, if a kid is maybe playing basketball, I might give them a choice of how many more baskets do you want to make before we head back to the room. And you know, if they say five, then they have some ownership. They feel like they got to make a choice, but it's still in those parameters of what I need to happen as well. So it's really just working with each student and figuring out what's going to work best for them. Yeah, I think I like how you said choices, because that was something I was going to mention too, is there are times where I will let my kid choose. Okay, here's the stations we need to do coming up next. Which ones do you want to do? We got to do all of them. You get to choose what order that we want to do it. And giving them ownership, giving them that power in their day is really important. Um, and, and I, like you said, also with having something a little bit more preferred before, that's also using behavioral momentum. Like you're using something that is um, quote unquote easier. Um, it's not the right word I'm thinking of, but it's what popped into my head right now, but it's a little bit more enjoyable. It's a little bit easier than the hard task. And then you're easing into the goal, which is the harder task. So I do a lot of that too, where, okay, maybe, especially after lunch, lunchtime for everybody is like, we all want to take a nap. We're all really done for the day. And um, so, yeah, a lot of times I'll do, we'll do um, a group activity that is enjoyable, like go noodle, um, or we'll transition to something like you said, like a sensory based activity. So yeah, those are great. Did you have anything else that you wanted to share in this kind of just like snapshot podcast about how to deal with those behaviors in your classroom? I think the main thing and this is something that I work on with my paras. So with my paras, I try, I, this year my goal has been to kind of pick a skill to teach my paras and work on for like the each month. And I really think with my paras, what we've been doing is um, that kind of stop and wait and watch and give yourself time to process and think about what could be going on, why this could be going on, and it'll give you time to come up with a game plan in that moment. And, and to really, you know, validate the child's feelings and let them know that you understand that they're upset and that you are there to help them. And um, that's kind of, you know, when I don't know what to do, that's what I do. And um, then it just really helps me stay calm and focused because I can get very anxious and I like to have my classroom be nice and structured and controlled, but the nature of our rooms aren't always like that. And so if I start feeding off of their behaviors, it doesn't help anybody. So if I just stop, collect my thoughts, calm myself down, um, that really helps uh, me be able to see the child in that moment and kind of get back to their level and just kind of say, hey, bud, I know this is tough. Hang in there. I'm gonna, I want to help you. Um, so that's kind of, uh, my little nugget of knowledge, I guess. 
nugget. Definitely a good nugget. This was just a kind of an overview podcast, but I'll have some other podcasts that you can dive into more linked in the show notes. Sarah's been on a couple. I'll link all the ones that she's been on in the show notes as well. So if you want to hear more of what she had to say in the other podcast, she had lots of other nuggets. So if you listen to all of them, you'll get a good foundation. I'll put her Instagram link in the show notes as well. I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. Thanks, Sarah. Thank you. Thank you for listening to my podcast. If you like what you heard, I'd greatly appreciate if you left me some feedback. And if you want to hear more, go ahead and give me a follow. While you're at it, come say hi on social media. You can find me at Adaptation Station on Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest, and you can visit me at AdaptationStation.net. I can't wait to bring you guys the next episode, and I'll talk again soon.